Hey there, WNBA Nation. This is Jason, editor and co-host here of the show. Just wanted to jump in again and let y'all know that this is part two of our re-release of W History, the rookie year of Candace Parker. Uh, if you caught the episode yesterday, uh, this is a continuation of that. If you did not, I'd recommend you pause now, go back and listen to yesterday's episodes. That'll start off the three-part series that was releasing yesterday, today, and tomorrow to end off 2021, which in a lot of ways was the year of Candace Parker uh, and and all the accomplishments that she had. So go ahead and enjoy the episode. If you want to connect with us, head over to Twitch at WNBA Nation Pod. If you want some merch, you can go to WNBANation.StoreNB.com. If you want to watch the show when we record it live, which will resume on Monday, January 3rd, uh, we will be live streaming over on Twitch. Uh, you can find that on twitch.tv slash WNBA Nation. We appreciate any follows and scri- subscribes there. And as always, we appreciate you subscribing to our podcast. And if you happen to use Apple Podcasts, giving us a rating and review uh, goes a long way, and we really appreciate it. So uh, that's all the plugs, and enjoy the episode. On October 10th, 2014, President Barack Obama, standing just off the shore of Pudding Stone Lake, announced his executive order to establish the mountainous San Gabriel Valley as a national monument, a move encouraged by notables in the Los Angeles and San Bernardino areas for several years. In his speech, President Obama cited the area's rich Native history, its connection to the Latino community, its importance on the media landscape due to housing a vast antenna farm, and even the local observatory, which stood as inspiration for the Hubble telescope. Summing all of it up, he said, I can think of no better way to honor our past and protect our future than by preserving the San Gabriel Mountains, not only because of its richness of history and culture and science, not only because of its scenic beauty that attracts over three million visitors every year, but because the story of the San Gabriel Mountains is, in many ways, the story of America. It's interesting how vast mountain regions seem to fit as a quality backdrop in Candace Parker's story, matching her stature and grandeur the looming wonder of what could come next. And like the San Gabriel Monument, some might say Candace Parker honored the past and protected the future of women's basketball in 2008, capturing the nation by storm through telling the story of America. And so, with mountainous backdrops in tow, we move from Old Rocky Top to the summit of Mount Baldy, the pearly gateway to the City of Angels. This is part two in the story of Candace Parker's historic rookie season. This is W History. How's it going, WNBA Nation? Welcome to another edition of W History, our chronicle of stories from... Uh, the great lore of the WNBA and women's basketball here to talk more. Candace Parker. Thank you so much, of course, for being here. Uh, of course, you can find the show anywhere your podcast can be found. Uh, we should be showing this on YouTube. And then, of course, you'd know it by now if you listen to the podcast, but live here at the Twitch. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to check out our Twitch, you should. But we're in all the cool places. I am so excited to get back into the swing of things. I'm here with Kyle and with Logan. How are we doing, friends? So good, man. I was saying this in our, our pre-record. I love these episodes. I get super, super amped. And like every episode that we finish kind of feels like we, I get left on a cliffhanger and I'm like, Oh, like what's coming next? What are we, what are we exploring into? What am I going to learn next time? And, uh, and I'm just ready to like continue on with the Candace Parker rookie season. But yeah, Logan, how are you doing, man? 
I'm I'm doing so good. I'll tell you what. I'm I'm kind of in the attitude, uh, especially this fall as the weather turns cold, of finding a great new show and three days later needing another great new show because I've watched it all because I've just watched every episode back to back. And so it's nice to have something like this where Steve can tell us a little bit about Candace Parker. We can let it breathe for a minute and then we can dive back in and be like, all right, part two, here we go. Cause I, right. I think I need that. I don't have the self discipline to, uh, to apply that to other areas of my life right now. Well, let's go ahead and, and hop right into things. This is, of course, the second edition of the Chronicle of Candace Parker's rookie season, or really just Candace Parker's 2008 in general, but right. centered around her rookie season. Uh, from my perspective, I thought we had a pretty exciting uh, part one. I'm going to kick it over to you guys really quick. Uh, what, does anyone want to try to give me a classic rundown? Uh, a quick summary of, of part one. What do you guys remember? Uh, so for me, it was the, the the stuff that stood out to me the most, I guess is what I'll, I'll share, is um, some of the rivalry going back into the college years um, with you know Tennessee and UConn, but also Candace Parker and specifically the Sylvia Fowles um, mm-hmm. kind of rivalry through college and you know what that looked like through March Madness and then within what was it 24 hours I think between when Candace Parker won the NCAA championship to being drafted number one overall um, and believe that she did that was it LSU that they played in the final right or was that in the in the Stanford they played Stanford. LSU in the final four that's right they played LSU in the final four and then they beat Stanford and. Uh, yeah, so she went from beating each of those teams to then uh, beating out, you know, a couple individuals from those teams in the WNBA draft literally the next day, which I think is uh, pretty interesting. I, I, that's that's what I really took away from it, and that just the overall hype of Candace Parker coming into the league was pretty much unmatched from any other player leading up to that point. Um, so yeah, that's that. That was my takeaway. Anything else that I'm anything that I missed that stood out to you, Logan? No, that's for. I mean, yeah, like you said, the the time between, uh, like the timeline between the championship and the rivalry that had been going on for years and years to the draft, which normally the draft is just the draft, and it's like, oh, she, you know, she went number one overall. She she won that rivalry. Um, right. That all that was all one blip on the timeline. It was just. You know, divided by a series of slashes. Like, by the way, this all happened within you know a period of a day. Yeah, they're pretty much <laughs> together for the entire day. Um, which I, you know, that lays the groundwork, I'm sure, for a lot of what's coming tonight. So it's that's a that's a fun little element of this that um, certainly adds uh, extra spiciness. Uh, yes, and uh, and and I don't want to say extra pettiness, but uh, we we do like that sort of thing around we here. We enjoy sports pettiness. <laughs> Yes, yes. We're always here for that. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, really, you guys covered more or less everything. I mean, it, we really got to get a view of uh, Candace's last stand uh, as a Lady Vol, pulling in her second consecutive national championship, uh, an incredible rivalry with LSU, and then just all of the energy that moved into draft day and the preseason, and here we are. Uh, we're uh, now officially moving from Rocky Top, and we're on our way to Southern California, but we're going to take a quick stop to the Valley of the Sun. So we're May 17th, 2008, after managing her senior year hype all the way to her second straight national title and taking stage as the first overall pick in the WNBA draft less than a full day later, 
While also living through a short preseason that saw more buzz than potentially any rookie in league history, the time had finally come. May 17th, Candace Parker made her WNBA debut in Phoenix. And not just for the Mercury's home opener, but for the Mercury's 2007 championship ring ceremony. Yes. So I watched like, the beginning of this game. It's on YouTube. Yeah. It's like just... You just add a little bit of extra salsa to this dish. Yeah, uh, make it a little better. So, uh, this this it's a packed house and includes Phoenix area resident Muhammad Ali. Oh God! So, so the great one is in attendance uh, for this. A packed house shows up to coronate uh, the home team while getting a much anticipated opportunity to see the league's next big star test her medal. Uh, but but a solid ticket. That's a pretty solid ticket. You get you, ring ceremony. You get to watch DT raise a trophy. Uh, you get to see this new big star. Let's see if it can happen. Of course, the question walking into this event uh, was, was pretty standard. Would Candace live up to the hype, or would Diana Taurasi and company put the rookie in her place? <laughs> the result was inarguably the greatest debut in WNBA history. Here's Pondexter on the drive. What a block by Candace Parker. How about that play defensively by Parker? Oh, and one! Let's go! Rebounds, eight assists for Candace Parker. LA wins it 99-94. In the best debut in the history of the WNBA. Stay strong. They're gonna go at you, but she's phenomenal offensively, defensively. She's five-dimensional. She finds open players. What, what else can I say? You know, she's the future and I love it. Uh, the Mercury started the, the contest off hot. They jumped to a 15 and 7 lead early on. From that point, Candace, Lisa Leslie, and company took over, jumping to a comfortable lead to end the first half. I want to say it was a 10-point lead. I don't have the stat sheet in front of me, unfortunately. Uh, this, of course, is when the Candace Parker show presented its stunning finale. Parker scores 14 of her 34 points in the fourth quarter, which included a go-ahead score off two defenders in the final minute, capping off a 99-94 victory. All in all, Parker Goodness. walks away with 34 points. And this beats Cynthia Cooper's debut record by nine points. 34 points, 12 rebounds, eight assists, two steals, and a block, all while going 63% Jeez. from the field. That is wild. Solid way to make a first impression. 34 points in your first game. First game against the defending champions on yeah. their court. Yeah, against I think the, what was arguably the best team in the league at that time, right? Yeah, like Very much so. That's wild. That's crazy. Absolutely. You know what I like Sports about that, especially in 2020, is a coach drafting a, a rookie like that and then setting her loose in the first night and not being like, yeah, playing play her. like 12 minutes. Yeah, like, let's, we'll we'll get her we'll get her feet wet a little bit. We'll get her acclimated. Nah. No, like, okay, you're starting. You're gonna be our our go to the entire night. Let's go. And to, especially a classic story. Um, I forget which player it is, but there is a one of the starters came over to Coach Cooper like two or three minutes into the game and. Um, there were articles that were citing they were coming in saying like Candace keeps calling for the ball in the post like she's posting up calling for the ball and Cooper Jimmy's like that's Give cool the ball. <laughs> yeah. well then yeah. Kevin Cash Kevin Cash would have pulled her in the third quarter and we would never have gotten the, the 14 point oh. <laughs> yeah it's 
something to that effect exactly. And what's funny is is her two biggest proponents were Michael Cooper and Lisa Leslie. You know, Lisa Leslie was very much like she needs real estate. She needs minutes. Like the, what's interesting about this story, I think, in comparison to our previous story, was you had two stars in Houston who very much were trying to take the mantle from each other. Right. And this is very much a case where, and, and we're talking about a Lisa Leslie player who is just two seasons removed from being the MVP, uh, watches this rookie steps in and is her biggest fan and is her biggest supporter and is wanting to be her mentor and is wanting to build her up and is excited for her success. And yes, there's always going to be that struggle of two stars and they want to be called upon, but there's a much different tone to the way these guys that they talked about each other to the media and right. post games. Um, you know, there's just a, it's, it's really in like, to me, it was pleasing to, to, to watch that at least during this point, I can't speak for, for any other levels of communication from what I'm seeing during this time, but it was, it was just kind of a cool thing to see. I think that, and that's, I don't think that's always the case. And especially in professional sports, a lot of times the veteran player kind of looks at the new hot rookie or the new hot young gun and, is threatened and saying like, no, like I'm still here. I'm still top dog. Right. Like, and you see that, you know, you see that across the board. Um, you see that when, you know, quarterbacks in the NFL or, um, you know, when you watch like the documentaries on like the dream team, you know, the 92 Olympic men's basketball team and, and that, you know, magic and Larry were trying to say like, now nah, we're still here while, you know, Michael was trying to, you know, take his own. And, and you think, <laughs> you think that it's going to be a, a battle perhaps. And, and and you see that oftentimes, but yeah, everything that I've seen from, you know, Lisa Leslie and Candace Parker from this season, as far as what I've kind of looked at in, yeah. in my own preparations is they really did like cheer each other on. Like Candace looked at Lisa, like the legend that she was and was just excited to play with her. And Lisa looked at Candace as like, you're the future of this. Like, this is on you. I'm passing the torch. What do you need? What tools do you need? And they, they were really there for each other. Um, at yeah. least on the surface, again, we're not in every, you know, we weren't in the locker rooms or in every practice, but it seemed more so that way than in a lot of other scenarios. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, um, it, it really took on a supportive tone, which I thought was pretty exciting from at least the perspective I had. And, uh, I think it, it, tells a, a really interesting story during the season because things aren't as shiny as the other story we told where the stars were kind of butting heads, but were completely dominating you know, right. night in night out. So it's, it's interesting how that dichotomy tends to work. That said uh, in, in the post experience in the post game experience after a really exciting night. So sparks coach, Michael Cooper uh, calls Candace the quote money player on the night. Lisa Leslie Calls Candace's performance phenomenal in one word. Parker, when asked about her response to the, her debut, quote, I don't think I'll be able to sleep tonight. Close quote. So I <laughs> that's, just, that's cool. Yeah. I like just that. Kind of, it, she, you know, she went on a lot just about like, this is about as good as obviously things could have gone. And the cool part about this was really the community took on. I mean, there was a lot of excitement out of Los Angeles. The LA media seemed to jump right into this. Uh, the next day in the LA times was just Candace's face was everywhere. I mean, this is very much like the next star has arrived was kind of the treatment that was going on. It was kind of cool. And, and to that end, we kick it over three days later 
Now, this is happening as Kobe, as a Kobe and Powell Lakers team are kicking off the 2008 Western Conference Finals. The top of the fold spread in the LA Times sports page goes to Parker in wow. a spread comparing her to hockey phenom Sidney Crosby, both young marketable talents who have the ability to take their respective leagues to the next level. So this was an interesting take three days after this game, which was more than just reporting on things, but simply saying, you know, what it's the impact that these individuals can have. And in the article, David Carter, an executive director for sports business at the University of Southern California, says of Parker and uh, just warning out, it's it's like a paragraph long quote. So, So take some notes, buckle in. But David Carter says, quote, she delivers a compelling wow factor to a league in need of one. By making the Sparks look and feel cool while posting triple doubles in Magic Johnson-like fashion, Parker may prove to be the rare athlete that a league can confidently hitch its wagon to. Close quote. Uh, I want that's you to know anyone not watching the video, when I said cool, I put my thumbs up to show that I'm cool. <laughs> that's a pretty, um, that's a pretty uh, rousing, uh, I guess, call of, uh, you know, like what should come for Candace Parker in the future. The unique take that I like from it, it, it does go beyond just, you know, this is a very good basketball player or, you know, generational basketball player. Very much hits like there's a cool factor here. Right. It's just something yeah. a lot of. So obviously a lot of hype coming in through this. You know, we're, we have business executives talking about the, the star power this individual has. That's kind of the note they're making. Now, this is an extreme random aside that I had to share with you guys because this was fascinating to me and pseudo timely. Um, but a, there's a random thoughts column uh, that runs frequently in the LA Times during this point. And in this same issue that this business executive quote, like this spread is in, uh, this random thoughts column makes mention of Carla Christofferson. You may remember Carla Christofferson as part owner of LA Sparks and former Miss North Dakota. Uh, and they mentioned her because this may note the Christofferson's impetus for teaming with teacher Kathy Goodman to buy the Sparks. The impetus for this came from her former boyfriend, Eddie Van Halen. What? (laughs) Who are these people? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I was prepared for a lot of things to come into this episode. Eddie Van Halen was not one of them. Miss North Dakota, Eddie Van Halen. And then there's this, like, English teacher that's like, I will also buy Sparks. Like, it's... Oh my head! The, it, I the, I, it's impossible to explain. I did not believe <laughs> that we would get Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my just, gosh! Yeah, uh, yeah. It, it, it's the story of the entire organization is fascinating. Like I, these, I need, I need desperately to sit down with Carla Christopherson and Kathy Goodman. I need to, or at least. Anyone who knew these people, I just I need to know what these people were like. Yeah, how did, how did all of this come to know? Yeah, like that would be that would be fantastic, like a future episode of W History to be like, all right, let's take a look at the Sparks ownership history and let's just go through it. Like that would be, a, yeah, that would be intriguing. I didn't know it would be intriguing until about forty five seconds ago, but it would be intriguing. I, I mean, I was on board when it was Miss North Dakota and and a t and like a school teacher. And then all of a sudden, like Eddie Van Halen's a part of it, um, <laughs> and unfortunately, we're we're not able to to have Eddie Van Halen be a part of this. That would be pretty, uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, that's why it was weirdly timely with all of that. It just 
So fun aside there, let's continue to talk basketball. We're moving up to May 29th. After a comfortable route of the newbie Atlanta Dream, the Sparks then fall to the Indiana Fever in double overtime. While the Fever are without their star to be catchings on the night, her replacement, Mississippi State standout Tan White. That's right. Name was you Tan know names White? with two first names, but have you ever had a name two with two colors? Mississippi uh, <laughs> State standout Tan White scores 11 over 20 points in the second overtime steal the result. So say whatever you want about Tan White, but cheek ball. I love that. Uh, the loss, of course, is less than ideal, but this doesn't stop Parker from accomplishing a le- another league first. Posting a stat line of 16 points, six of those in the second overtime, so she did come to play then. 16 points, 16 boards, six blocks, five assists, and five steals. Oh, she got the, the first five, five, five for five in league history. Wild. As a or at rookie. least second. It might have happened. I couldn't confirm. I swore uh, uh, Cynthia did it once, but. Uh, I, I was thinking confirm. maybe like Janeth Arcane. Yeah, like so to my understanding, have, yeah. this is the first five five for five in league history with sixteen boards to boot. Six blocks does it? That six like blocks that's doesn't register. Yeah, like that's cr- that's uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's wild. Six blocks isn't like anything over two blocks a game. If a player gets more than two blocks, it's it's noteworthy. Yeah, to get five yeah. or more is yeah. That that means yeah. at one point she had five blocks and the other coach on, on the other sideline called a timeout and was like, hey, stop trying to shoot over the top of her, okay? And then they and went then back they out there and she got another one. <laughs> <laughs> it's that or the coach went, mm, I think we're due. Yeah, she's, she's, she ain't getting six. <laughs> Let's try one more. I mean, look, the fever won. I mean, it's, you know, yeah. but still, that's... That was back uh, when the fever did that sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> hey, there... They're they're not Zing. so far off from from bringing in a uh, hardware. So that's true. That's, they won a championship not, like just not long before we started our show. So <laughs> yeah, it's uh, big tree fall hard. Um, <laughs> it happens, but yeah. So five for five, pretty cool stat line there. Naturally, every single post game report makes note to call out failed dunk attempts from both Parker and Leslie, but that's nothing, right? Uh, let's head to May 31st after an easy victory over the Washington Mystics, which saw Parker post her third double double in four tries. The Sparks end the month of May with a three and one record. This takes place, of course, on the same night of the announcement that Parker and Leslie would be sharing the court not only on the Sparks, but as members of the U.S. national team in the upcoming Beijing Olympics. More on that in a future episode. Ooh. So get ready to talk. Cliffhanger. Some, uh, some some Olympic ball. We now head to the month of June. June 10th, 2008, kicks off with Parker playing in her hometown of Chicago for the first time since high school. Uh, now, of course, Tennessee did play DePaul during her senior season, but Parker was forced to sit out due to, and this is fun, breaking curfew. Oh. So it's been an interesting year for Candace Parker. <laughs> breaking Started curfew? Breaking curfew, and now she's... The talk of the WNBA. She's about to star in the Olympics. But you also broke curfew. Like, so what are you doing? Jeez. <laughs> oh, Golly. Uh, so, yeah, she didn't have a chance to play in that game, but gets to play against the Sky as her first uh, uh, performance 
in front of a home crowd. I, she made mention in a post game interview that like she basically knew everyone that was at the at the venue, which is kind of cool. Now, this game would see Candace foul out early in the fourth quarter, but not before posting 12 points and seven rebounds en route to an overtime victory for the Sparks. This game would be the final of a five-game road trip to kick off the Sparks season Ugh. as they head back to Los Angeles Jeez. with a 4-1 record and five straight road sellouts, which is a first for any WNBA team. That is, is wild. Yeah. We just got done talking about a team that won four championships in a row and didn't boast five straight road sellouts. Mm-hmm. Candace Parker shows up. People want to come and watch. I, I just find it. And, and yes, you can't, you could equate that to so much more than Candace. I mean, you're talking about a team that also didn't have Lisa Leslie the year before. Right. So she's returning. So there's a lot of excitement there. But at the end of the day, I mean, Candace very much was the discussion point and the hype point at that end. And, you know, obviously drawing numbers. So, so pretty impressive, all, all things considered for the Sparks as they kick things off. Now we hit June 6th. The Sparks home opener uh, takes place three days after they were in Chicago. Parker's debut in the Staples Center, which honestly doesn't go exactly as planned. As the Sparks blow an 18-point fourth-quarter lead, ah, resulting in a oh six-point loss to the Avenging Mercury. Don't Holy cow. Tarasi and Pondexter combined for 57 of Phoenix's 85 points, with Tarasi dropping 13 in the final 10 minutes. <laughs> because, yeah, because I think, I think a rookie because Diana would kind of yeah. pissed Diana Tarasi off. <laughs> We've heard her opinion on rookies if you've watched Instagram Live. Exactly. You know exactly how she feels about playing against might, rookies. I might see if I could find audio of that to cut right now. We'll see. <laughs> well, we'll amazing. have to make sure that that gets I was edited. Say, actually, yeah. yeah, it may not be, yeah. To keep Never our, mind. to keep our family friendly, uh, ratings. Yeah. Be, we'll, we'll, we'll be a lot of, it's mostly bleeps. <laughs> yeah. Maybe not. I don't know. Of course, this is all to say, Tarasi drops 13 points in the fourth quarter, uh, for the, for the comeback victory. Parker, who scored 19 and finished just two assists shy of a triple double, would be held to a single basket in the final quarter. The Sparks Jeez. would respond to this heartbreak by winning four of their next five, namely off of Leslie, who averaged a double-double in that stretch. The mm. single loss of that stretch would fall to the San Antonio Stars. And bear in mind, this is a Becky Hammond-led you know, conference finalist Stars team. It's a very talented Stars team. I, we may, A lot of us may have recency bias of the last we saw of the Stars. This was a very good Stars team. Uh this loss does uh, boast a 27-point performance from Parker. She scored 12 points in the final quarter. She did lead 12 in the final uh, quarter? a run. Yeah, 12 in the final quarter, Jeez. which was a big impetus to the Sparks cutting an 18-point deficit to just two uh, before Hammond closed things out in the final minutes. So it was an impressive comeback performance, fell a little bit short. And they won the other four games. So fairly uplifting coming off of a tough loss to open uh, for their home opener. So let's move things over to June 22nd. And I'm just going to give you a quick author's note right here. The next two games in the season, at least the aftermath of these games, are from my estimation a bit of an eye roll. Uh, they just... I. I don't know why, but I got rubbed the wrong way from some of this. I'm just going to let you guys know ahead of time. This should be fun. Okay. June 22nd, in Tamika Catching's first start of the season coming off an injury, the Sparks boasted a cozy 14-point victory over the Fever. Park ends the night. Parker. Park. 
Parker ends the night with 10 points, 10 boards, and 4 blocks. But it's the 2 points scored with 29 seconds left in a 14-point win that steals all of the conversation, sincerely, for weeks. 29 ticks remaining. Parker makes a steal around half court, glides into a solo fast break, and lands, oh boy, the second dunk in WNBA history. <laughs> Takes it out for a three-pointer left side. That's no good. Rebound tipped out. Parker on the run. We're going to get a dunk here. So it's the first WNBA dunk since Lisa Leslie in 2002, which is cool. Teammates. There were lots of graphics of both of the dunks side by side. That was pretty sweet. You know, there's a lot about it that's cool. I'm not trying to take that out. Like I said, you know, I'm not trying to just take the energy out of this. Because it was a cool moment, and it was definitely something that woke people up. Right. Where I take issue with this is this haphazard media frenzy that happened during this moment. Because all at once, dunk is just like the only word any sports journalist seems to give any about. Like, it's just all they want to talk about when it comes to the WNBA is like, is it finally dunk time? Are we finally going to see the dunks? Like, as if that's all that exists in the world of basketball. And and I don't know. I've got a lot more to report on here. So I don't want to get too much into too many diatribes. So... The very next day, so this happens, the very next day, the Los Angeles Times runs a tough hap spread. So this is the you know half-page spread, top of the fold, not about the game, but about a throwaway dunk with less than 30 seconds left in an already decided game. With the subheadline, so there's a headline, and the subheadline, quote, Parker says more dunks are coming, close quote. Like it's like it's the vaccine or something. Like it's Wonka bars. <laughs> like it's the it's the savior of like, basketball that's on yeah. its way. Yeah. The opening line of the article. This is the this is the full opening line, and then it goes to the next paragraph. Is quote It was worth the wait. Oh jeez. Like yeah. Was so there, the opening line is. Was there yeah. like a Bill Plasky opinion piece at the bottom of the page? Like, can women play sports too? Like, <laughs> hold up. <laughs> you hold up. Hold oh up. no! Oh no! Hold that thought. Yeah. So we, the opening line is even more melodramatic than the subhead, and the rest of the author, which, by the way, the author of this article is Chris Pine, which is funny to me. Oh, that's funny. Uh, the rest of Chris Pine's Oscar consideration speech uh, goes four full paragraphs before so much as sharing the final score. Oh my of the goodness! Actual basketball game, which. Logan, you can cover up for me because you also took you know news writing classes and stuff. Generally, a bit of a no-no. Yeah, that's four usually paragraphs to, too much without the final score. <laughs> yeah, that's usually something you want to make sure is pretty clear pretty quickly. Four paragraphs because we got to, t- to talk about this one dunk, and this seems to be the narrative for the next several weeks. And I, you know, I read a lot of these articles. Suddenly, every sports journalist becomes that 11th grade fairweather sports hobbyist we all knew who thought Mark McGuire and Blake Griffin were the goats of their leagues because apparently home runs and dunks take up 99% of those sports. (laughs) (laughs) All analysts could seem to muster in an already electric year for Candace Parker. Think about everything we've already talked about between Tennessee, between her debut, everything that's gone on. All they could seem to muster in what's been an incredibly exciting year for Candace for other right reasons, is 
when are we going to see another one? I saw that quote so many times. It took six years to see another dunk. When's the next one going to happen? With, like, the slurping lust of Bonsai, Shenzi, and Ed staring at a dangling zebra carcass. <laughs> Just like, I can t- you want I'm dunks, so glad. more dunks. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad that you brought in, for everybody else... Steve has been letting us know how frequently his son has been watching The Lion King. So I'm so glad that he's working in Lion King references into if, the WNBA, into the if, W history scripts. If not for Ed, I would have had no idea what you were talking about. But I was like, oh, I know who Ed is. I, I literally remembered it from their opening line. It's like, what do we have here, Bonsai? I don't know, Shenzi. What about you, Ed? Like, thank you for saying all of your names in your opening line. That really helped. Uh, yeah, my son's loving The Lion King for quite a bit. It, it's. I do have to say this. I will make this very short because we've had a lot of asides tonight. But uh, I very much am weirdly fascinated with food in animated movies. Mm-hmm. Because there's so much food in different animated movies that it's like 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 pizza in the Goofy movie. Why in the world is it that like it looks delicious? Or is it right? just, yeah, <laughs> I may have watched cheese. Lion King too many times, <laughs> but I watch that scene every single time Lion King, and I'm like, yeah, I might try zebra. <laughs> oh, I thought you were gonna go the Timon and, the Timon and Pumbaa. Like, do those bugs Grips. look good? It's like how the bugs yeah. sort of look okay. Slimy bugs yet look satisfying. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like. When he's like, oh, the Greenfield kind. I'm like, yeah, the Greenfield kind. That would be interesting. Uh, But so that's the the general narrative, though. There's this weird obsession with when's the next dunk. And, of course, lucky for all the pundits, the answer is two days. June 24th, the first clash between the Sparks and the Seattle Storm featured all of the previous. And so it is a great statistic or fact. I think this is exciting. So this is the first matchup between these teams. This game features all of the previous nine league MVPs. Holy crap. Oh, holy crap. The last crap. nine MVP awards are featured in this game. Can you guys name for me oh, gosh. Uh, who those are attributed to? I'll, I'll give you one hint. There's four players that this is attributed to. Okay. So obviously Lisa Leslie. Yeah, she's then, got three. Okay. So what? Hang on. It's 2008. The Sparks and the. Why am I blanking on what you literally? You're basically, just going said. back to 2000. Okay. 2008 or 2000 to 2008 are. Or 99 technically, but. So Tina Tina Thompson. She won. Correct. Oh, Tina Thompson never got one. Did Lauren Jackson win one? Lauren Jackson, Lauren Jackson has two oh, at this point. Yeah, duh. Okay. That makes sense. Um, Leslie Subert, has three. Two, Jackson has two. Super doesn't have one at this point. Okay. There's one that should be fairly obvious based on content we've done in the past. Yeah, why am I? Oh, um, uh, uh, it's, it's turn around. Look behind you. Look, Kyle. Oh, Swoops. Swoops. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Swoops has three. Leslie has three. Lauren Jackson has two. And Yolanda Griffith. As one. Okay. Oh, Griffith. that's yeah. She's on the, she's right. on the storm roster. Yeah. So we've got a, uh, yeah, she was the one that like stole that one MVP kind of in the middle of hoop and swoops. So, uh, so nine, nine MVP awards attributed to these two rosters. So star power through the, just to the nines, right? Right. Pun intended. Parker, amid all of this uh, greatness is not the word I wanted to use. That sounds lame in the moment, but just all of the star power, 
nine MVPs amid all of that buildup is the story on the night. 22 points, 11 rebounds, four steals, three blocks in a 14 point spark win against a very talented storm team. But who gives a shit, right? Cause we want to know if there was dunks and dunks. There was with pretty much the same scenario. Only this time there's nearly a full minute left to play and not just 29 seconds. Game headline of the LA Times the next morning reads, quote, Parker repeats dunk in a win. Close quote. First of all, headline. Second of all, I mean, 39 minutes of basketball had been played. The game was over, but that's the highlight. This game features a huge performance from the league's new phenom alongside an unreal collection of historic talent, including, by the way, one of the league's greatest player feuds in Lisa Leslie and Lauren Jackson. Signaling a potential return to prominence for a great Sparks team. But, nah, dunks. I don't, I, anyway, it just, it's hard for me to explain why this frustrates me. And it's just that I'm not trying to outlaw the idea of like, the women's game isn't uh, not about dunk. It's just, it's the way that it's covered. Like, there's no question why it's always been a struggle for women's basketball to get the respected content that it deserves. Because the media seem to respond as if they're the fair weather fans they love mocking. And yeah. it's it's this weird like they stoop to that same level. This is this is one of those times there's there's that quote, I don't know who said it, um, but there's a like that line about like never attribute to, to malice what you could attribute to just like ignorance, like something like that. This this feels like a group that's like actually trying to be like, hey, like they're doing like NBA stuff in the WNBA. Like you should pay attention. Candace Parker's really cool. Like I think the intention is is in the right place, but the the ignorance of it is. I mean, you've already outlined it. It's like there are so many reasons this game is amazing, and you you're missing the mark yeah. significantly. <laughs> the next day, June twenty seventh. Actually, it was technically a couple days later, June twenty seventh. The call to cut it with all this dunk talk finally comes from. So the the call in the L.A. Times for someone finally saying to cool it, of all people, comes from Bill Plaschke. <laughs> yes. Um, awesome. Uh, it, like, longtime columnist and pseudo-slimeball Bill Plaschke. I've read his stuff pretty much my whole life, but still. Plash, splash. Who, in his regular times, says the following, and this is quite a long quote. It's uh, so, so we'll get through it. But I, I thought it was very prescient. So, quote, During a season in which the Sparks could grab the average Southland basketball fan like never before, the last thing they need to do is brag about their dunks. In women's basketball, to brag about a dunk is to deny your identity, to feed into every male stereotype, to shout, hey, we're one of the guys. But they're not. And that's why they can be so much fun. That's why John Wooden likes the WNBA better than the NBA. That's why the Sparks have developed a solid fan base that will only grow as the duo of Parker and Lisa Leslie grows. He then goes on, Plaschke uh, goes on to credit the exciting product the Sparks have been putting on the floor at this point, saying, quote, On Thursday against the Washington Mystics, I'm guessing these fans didn't show up to see Parker dunk. They showed up to see Parker thread a pass between three defenders to Tamika Johnson for a layup, to see Parker set a perfect low pick for Lisa Leslie. Then there was a six-pass possession that ended in Parker's turnaround jumper. 
It wasn't Laker flashy, but it was spark fun. Close quote. <laughs> that's a great quote. So you, that's a fantastic quote finally, from Flashkey. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, I was shocked just because I've, I've never seen him as like a necessarily close minded individual. Right. But he definitely felt like the person that was like, well, let's not forget who we're talking about though. Yeah, and yeah. he actually says a lot that stands out to me, which is this idea that these like short, winners in sports are what draw crowds. Like we want to see lots of dunks. That's what's going to draw a crowd. We want to see lots of homers. That's what draws a crowd. Like there's this idea that this like hybrid level of athleticism and people flying out of the gym is why people come to watch basketball. There is in my estimation, one universal tool to draw a crowd and build an effective fan base. And I have a feeling both of you know the answer. Is it winning, winning games? games. Yes, <laughs> it's winning games. I don't Gotta care get how the you W's. Do you want to know what the most boring team in the history of the NBA was? The San Antonio Spurs of the two thousands. You want to know a team that sold out every home game in the two thousands? The San, San Antonio, Antonio Spurs. Spurs. Yep, because yep. they won championships. You want to know a very unexciting football team in a lot of ways? The New England Patriots. You want to know a team? That had to turn a lot of people away from watching games in Gillette Stadium. The New England Patriots. Their quarterback for a long time was considered the greatest of all time, even though he wasn't really that exciting of a quarterback. And you could attribute his success to other members of his team who did a lot of the boring stuff. But it's the boring stuff, those offensive linemen, that helped get the wins that put people in the seats. This equates to me to a lot of different sports. There's a lot of ways that you could pull this around, right? Because it's so easy in sports to make like a sexy transaction, Right. You could you could tie in the home run hitter. There's so many teams that at the trade deadline of baseball will trade for the home run hitter, right? They'll get that Manny Machado guy, you know, that type of scenario. Instead of bolstering their bullpen, you know, with a guy that's got a solid changeup. It's a boring move. But that's what champions tend to do sometimes. My favorite correlation possibly in women's sports in this is possibly Ronda Rousey. Because in combat sports for years... What are people assuming everyone's showing up to see? They want to see the knockout, right? We want to see strikers. We want to see someone just get knocked the F out. Do you want to know what Ronda Rousey was? A submission specialist. Yeah, it was, it was arm bar after arm bar and then a leg bar. Arm bars and Kimuras. Yeah, like. She had a decent kick when she wanted to, but she was a submission specialist. She wasn't a striker. Yeah. And she would. And And then she went on. Yeah. To break viewer records. And you want to know why? Because for two solid years, nobody could touch her. Because she was closing out matches in the amount of a gif in less than 30 seconds. She was putting other fighters to shame. And no one cared how it happened. We were watching someone dominating, and we wanted to see how it played out. This is definitely as good a time as any uh, to take a, a quick breather before we hit the last, uh, I'd say half. It's really third of of the chronicle here um if you guys have anything to plug we could cut to an ad uh, yeah i could make some chili i don't know whatever you guys want <laughs> no i uh i i just want to shout out to all of you listeners who are checking us out and who are our regular listeners if you happen to be hockey fans and are fans of the nw or excuse me the N, yeah nwhl uh 
we are actually, uh, and, and when I say we, primarily our co-host and editor, Jason, is kicking off an NWHL Nation podcast that's going to be covering the NWHL and their six teams um, as they start their season uh, in what, a little over a month at this point. And so... It's really exciting. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to increase that coverage. Jason's a huge hockey fan. And so being able to get into, you know, kind of the women's hockey scene and, and be able to pro- provide some coverage there that frankly has been lacking, uh, is really exciting. So if you're interested in checking that out at all, you can find the, the, the Twitter feed for that is at NWHL. Uh, nation pod. So just like WNBA nation and our NWSL, uh, nation shows that, you know, with those respective Twitter handles, um, check out end of NWHL po- nation pod. I can't say it all at once. <laughs> NWHL nation pod on Twitter and, and give them a follow. Um, Jason's, uh, Jason's going to be putting a lot of work into that and we're excited, um, to add a little bit of extra, content um in that regard so um on top of that uh logan do you want to give a quick rundown on where they can find us on our socials and and whatnot absolutely uh obviously you can find us anywhere podcasts are listened to that is our primary platform is as an audio uh addition to your day uh you can also find us on twitter at wnba nation pod we'd love to interact with you there and for you to join our our host of uh uh, listeners who ask us questions, interact with us, send us funny gifts, tell us your favorite highlights, answer our questions, send us polls. Um, there's always something going on there. We really like interacting with you guys and, and getting a feel for what you guys want out of the show, um, what you guys pay attention to during the off season uh, while while most of the NBA WNBA is overseas. Um, and then, as with our kind of our update that we've gone through in the last week or two, uh, you can also view uh, these recordings. On on Twitch, which is uh, this is the most old man thing of me to say. I, I don't I don't get Twitch or TikTok. Uh, those <laughs> those are after my t- like I barely get Snapchat. I don't like, do phones. I barely get Snapchat. <laughs> I, like I I've posted photos of myself on Instagram like twice ever. Like it's most it's landscapes only. Like or I, your I dog. don't you know yeah or my dog. But we are on Twitch. <laughs> And uh, as a as a cool way to support the show free of charge to uh, you listeners, uh, you you have I, I believe Kyle explained this in our last episode, but you have the ability to support a show, I, I believe, one per month um, mm-hmm. by subscribing to it. And and we will we will receive a little bit of change for that um, with no cost to you. So that is our new kind of platform for raising money to make improvements to the show and also do some of the cool uh, kickbacks that we used to over Patreon. Uh, this way, we we are not kind of under the gun to always be pumping out Patreon content, but we do still have a way of improving the show uh, monetarily. And I, you know, I think that's better for both uh, the show and for you guys because it it comes at no cost to you aside from the subscription. We obviously love the five star reviews. We will read those on air when we get new ones. Um, I think I hit them all. Kyle yeah. spot check me to make sure I didn't miss anything. No, you're, you know, you're, you're spot on. Was, um, yeah. so yeah, you can check all of that out. We've got merch available on, uh, at our store NVA store envy page, um, so that you can check out at any time. That's WNBA And, uh, yeah, feel free to check that out. There's some great merch there as well as just a reminder. Anytime anybody buys one of our 
quote unquote, I'm a nobody t-shirts. Um, the proceeds from that will go toward purchasing tickets to WNBA games or NCAA women's games. Um, moving forward to get people more and more introduced into women's basketball. So anytime you purchase from that, just know that you're putting money into what we call the WNBA scholarship that we used to purchase tickets for first time attendees to get in and check out the league, which is how we got into the league. And we want to pass that, uh, pass that forward. So if you want to uh, support the show that way and have a pretty sweet t-shirt to go along with it, um, that's a great talking piece that as I wear it, people are like, wait, I'm a nobody. What does that mean? I love wearing mine all the time because that I get a chance to talk to people about the WNBA and women's and women's basketball and, and kind of spread the love there. So, um, but yeah, thank you so much. Let's get back to some basketball. We now head into the month of July. And, uh, you know, we've we've cooled off of uh, the dunk diatribe. We'll see how much of that actually makes the cut. If you're here on Twitch, you got to see the whole gambit. But if uh, you're listening, you know, we, we may have to cut some of that. Or there's a chance that we just run that as a, like a separate, like special episode. Like, here's a half an hour of the guys complaining about dunks. Um, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> who knows? Special it, it edition, subscriber only. Yeah. I, it, for me, it was group therapy. I think I needed that. It's <laughs> actually really I'm awkward because I, I got Steve a pair of SB dunks for Christmas. And Ooh. now now I've got all of this like, oh, I hate dunks. And I'm like, ah. Oh. I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> did, am... did you also get me a bulk pack of Dunkaroos, though? <laughs> <laughs> Take some of those. It wasn't in the budget. <laughs> the I the know, SB Dunks were in the budget, but the Dunkaroos, <laughs> the Lorna Dune of dippable snacks, was in the budget. All I know is Steve said July, and I know what happens in July because of research that Steve sent us, and I am here for it. Let's, yeah, let's I'm do it. so excited. Yeah. We're 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 heading to some some very uh, explosive uh, events here in July. So it's July sixth. The Sparks end the month of June with a 10-4 record. Parker, in that stretch, averaging 17 points, 9 rebounds, 4 assists, and 2.5 blocks a game. And then immediately jump into a three-game losing skid. Oof. So they lose three in a row. Parker then bounces back with a 31.10 rebound, 3-block performance in an 11-point win over Phoenix. There's just so much fun had. Again, dude, Phoenix. what is with Parker yeah. in the Phoenix games? Like, <laughs> yeah, just... Some wakes are up in those games. It's fun. Seriously. This is, of course, followed by uh, this performance, 31 points, is followed by her easily her best performance on the rookie season. Quite possibly still the best statistical performance of her WNBA career. When she absolutely dominates her personal mentor, Tina Thompson, in an eight-point win over the outgoing Houston Commons. To the mm. tune of 40 points, 16 rebounds, six assists, two steals, and five blocks. Whoa! Hold For 40 up. Forty points. <laughs> Reed, can you can you just say that stat line one more Ooh. time in case somebody was like in case you're driving and you're listening to the show <laughs> or you're like zoned out a little bit at work? Pause what you're doing and points? listen to this stat line one more time. All right, on the points? outgoing the outgoing Houston comments. Right, this is like her yeah. f- her final message to the comments. And what was that again, Steve? As you go home. 40 points, 16 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals, 5 blocks. Goodness. I'm now, not, 40 I'm points is I'm not saying shy. Candace Parker killed yeah. the Comets, but is uh, there I'm a possibility that she just killed, like she just ended the Comets? 
they were like, all right, there's no coming back. You know this. what? This is, this is it. We don't want any more of this. <laughs> um, now, her 40-point performance is just one point shy of Lisa Leslie's all-time team record, which was set in 2006, and she actually had a shot at tying it. She ended the game uh, missing the first of two free throws. So if she makes that, she ties the record. She doesn't. Still, uh, no one's going to complain about a 40 spot. Uh, there's obviously talk about how Tina Thompson is a personal mentor of hers. I do think that it's a pretty boss move to drop a 40 spot on your mentor and then call her your big sister in the in the post-game interview. There's something about that that's like, <laughs> that's how winners win. Um, so obviously, this is a huge performance. Now, Lisa Leslie, while giving uh, Candace full credit for the performance, she was very complimentary of Candace and everything she did on the night. She also nods... Uh, to this performance coming off of Parker's ability to respond to the Comets' propensity to focus their defense heavily on Leslie. And this mm. leads to my new favorite petty quote of the series thus far. It's my new favorite quote. So mm. Lisa Leslie, quote, I knew the double team was coming. Houston has always been the team that wants to make sure I don't beat them, close quote. Oh, <laughs> I like that. Just I like, like that. I had a feeling they were coming at me because I burned them enough in the past. <laughs> and that's you know. that's beautiful. You can tell that she yeah. thought about that a little bit beforehand. Like it's you, a little you, diplomatic. It's just yeah. a little bit like like they just want to make sure that I don't win. But they're really just saying like, yeah, they really don't like me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so they doubled me up. And so I just thought that, that was hysterical. What's funny to this is we've we talked in a, in previous episodes about. I have a budding theory that if if things were switched up a little bit in this dichotomy and the Comets happen to have the first pick in this draft and Candace Parker goes to Houston, I'm of the theory that there's a, there's a really good chance Candace Parker's the type of player that could potentially breathe life back into this Comets franchise and at least kept them going for a few more years, giving them a little extra fodder to keep the engine running. And as I read through these types of experiences... By the way, when I read just simply about they're selling out road games and, you know, you're seeing all of this, effect, it kind of reaffirms it for me. Like, with with the Comets, it's almost frustrating because you get a weird view of, like, what could have been. And it comes at the tune of her dropping her career high on you. <laughs> and, yeah, big night. Which, by the way, still her career high, 40 points out of her rookie season. So. That's crazy. Because I know she's had big games since then, but yeah, to, to set yeah. your own career high as a rookie is is pretty wild. That's pretty impressive. Well, they didn't have anyone doubling up someone who they don't want to win, so it's that's true. You know, that's true. Gosh, and other teams are just doubling that, up on Lisa Leslie. Ironic, it opens the floor I, a lot for you. Ironically, I put that quote up there with Tina Thompson's. I still don't know who that is. Sorry. Like it's, <laughs> like, it's ironic that it was against the comments when Thompson had the other one that I was like, those are money quotes. Uh, of course, let's skip from a historic 40 point and, and then some performance on the 16th. We're actually going to jump quite a ways a couple of weeks. Unfortunately, the Sparks follow up on these two dominant performances from Parker with another midseason funk, losing four of their next five, going from the top of the Western Conference to just a couple of, or Top of the, the Western Conference uh, just a few weeks earlier. So at the time we were talking about that, they were leading the conference. Now on the cusp of dropping all the way to fourth in the conference, which might potentially uh, dip them out of contention. Because I, 
uh, I guess top four would have gotten them in, but still, they're suddenly they're leading the conference. Now it's like you might be on the precipice of not making the playoffs. So a, a tough stretch of five games. Now it's my personal theory at this point that Candace fell into a bit of what I'd call mental fatigue. Right. When you consider she hadn't seen a break from competitive basketball outside the occasional day or two off since the fall of the previous year. We all remember the draft night story. You go from a national title to get on a plane, go to a draft night, immediately hit a short preseason to start this regular season. You're headed into an Olympic season where all eyes are on you. So there's this break that you're not getting because you're about to go be a part of this this Olympic team. Right. And you're battling through this historic season where the media seems to only care about whether or not you dunk a basketball, regardless mm. of everything else that's going on. So there's all of this going on, and her stat line doesn't necessarily show it. I mean, she's still generally averaging more or less a double-double as things go, but there's very obvious wear and tear. I mean, as you watch clips at this point in the season, as you read articles, as you see quotes, you can definitely tell that things are, are wearing on her at this point in the season, which kind of makes sense. It's a mid-season funk. These things yeah. happen. Well, and you haven't stopped in your basketball yet, like yeah. in <clears throat> in like a year. You know, like you've just been going nonstop yeah. and media frenzies, championships, drafts, new team, yeah. like, yeah, dunk phenomenons that are happening. Like it's it's just a constant grind without a break in sight for an extended period of time. And yeah, you like you got to imagine like I can't imagine what anybody's, you know, you know, mental state might be after that. Yeah, even it. Even if it's your dream job, every now and again, you've got to take some PTO. Right. Like, it's, you know, everyone needs that mental reset. It feels like it wasn't there. And one would assume that it played a huge role, this mental fatigue played a huge role in what would immediately follow. So we're going to hit July 22nd. I am ready. The year 2008. Year of our Lord. The Sparks knock off the Eastern Conference leading Detroit Shock in a three-point victory. Only the second home loss on the season for Detroit. The, the shock looked great this season. Uh, so they, they walk into the night with one loss. The Sparks tend to upend them. Parker ends the night with 21 points and two blocks. But we're not here to talk about that, are we? No. Nope. Friends, know. let's talk about Malice in the Palace 2. This is an actual name it's it's been given, which is funny to me because I have a lot of cakes as far as that's considered. I, I should preface something before we dive into this, and that is that mm. everything we said about dunks earlier is true. But if you sat if you substitute the word fight or brawl into that headline instead of dunk, I'm like, yeah, totally agree. We need to talk about the fight. <laughs> like it's hundred <100%. laughs> percent. 
a little bit. And I obviously, I have some heavy takes on this. I've already shared them with you guys. Um, I'm going to give the rundown. Now, of course, I I did give you guys homework. I sent you the the clip here to watch of the the nine-minute stretch of all this going down. I'm going to read through... Uh, the the sequence of events that transpired here, and then we'll, I'd love to hear your guys' response to it. So, toward the end of the contest, Parker and Detroit Shock forward uh, Cheryl Ford, also, fun fact, daughter of Carl Malone. Right, uh, yeah. Yeah, so Cheryl Ford uh, and Parker face up on each other after fighting for a rebound under the basket. Parker begins to make a go at Ford at this point when Lisa Leslie steps in to cut things off. They head up the court, and at this point, you can really tell emotions are palpably high. You can just kind of feel that pulsing in the air, even watching it on a screen. With 4.5 seconds left, uh, the Sparks' uh, Marie Ferdinand Harris sinks a free throw. And during that shot, uh, the Shocks' Planet Pearson makes a hard box out on Parker. I mean, just honestly, Rams are uh, backside. Kind of a, hey, like lay off my teammate kind of a thing. Like I saw you coming after my yeah. teammate. I'm going to send you a exactly. message. Right. This like, is very much like a, there's physical like a, box outs. And then there's what Pearson did, right. Where yeah, she, she, she was she coming literally she was just, trying to send a message and, and, and like elbow swing in like a really, really forceful yeah. box out there. This was very much a fastball. Well inside, like right. watch yourself. Right. Right. And so during that shot, she hits this hard. Now Parker spins toward Pearson and this leads to both players getting entangled, falling to the court. And that's when you hear the first whistle, play stops. Now, as Parker is slowly getting back up, Pearson starts aggressively moving at Parker, which knocks like Parker to the walk ground. over her. Yeah, like walking over her. And as Parker's her, yeah. coming ground, she pulls and like wraps Pearson up and pulls her down straight to the ground. And Pearson like thuds hard onto the court. <laughs> at this point, benches are clearing. Yeah, let's go. So benches are cleared. Parker and Pearson are now attempting blows. You know, they're trying to actually take some shots at each other. And this is the point where Parker starts to get up and then is tackled by uh, Deanna Nolan, uh, which then officially leads to this just a full-on scuffle of players. Yeah, you know, players are coming clearing There's brawl, an amalgamation yeah. toward the center of the court. And honestly, if you don't know much about this is actually when things for my submission get interesting. Mm. As the scrum is generating, uh, Lisa Leslie enters into like the outer portion of the pile. You can tell she's kind of squeezing her way in really trying to break things up. She's very palpably tried to be that person in, in moments toward the end of the game, that same night. Well, she's the one that she's separated Parker up. initially, right? When she and yeah. Cheryl Ford had that like exactly. tangle so earlier, she's, she's the one that kind make of this made that peaceful. Yeah. It, this is when the end, this is kind of controversial. I know where I stand on this, but um, she starts to try to make her way into the pile at this point. She's cut off by Detroit assistant coach Rick Mahorn, who people are claiming was playing Peacemaker. Mahorn pushes Leslie away from the pile, which knocks her to the floor. It incites further unrest amongst players and coaches already on the court. This leads to more frustration happening on Detroit's side, which includes Cheryl Ford, who's trying to openly calm down Pearson which results in Ford suffering what would become a season-ending ACL injury. Mm. So you have an initial scuffle, people rushing the court. You have a coach pushing a player to the ground. People freaking out about that. Now you have a player who's crying on the floor because she just tore up her leg and has to be taken off of the court via wheelchair. This all happens in less than two minutes. 
So it's, it's just boom, 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 boom. Yeah, it's just chaos. It's 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 yeah. utter chaos. And the it's so like my heart breaks for Cheryl Ford in that moment because she's the one that kind of initially got. Candace kind of heated, right? Like there was kind of a, a physical rebound. The ball got stripped away from Candace, right? And there was, there was fouls called and, and, you know, whistle blew and, and she was, she was the one that kind of got Candace going. And then her teammate then, you know, kind of goes to, to, you know, send a message to Candace with that physical box out while, and then she, you know, turns around and grabs, she's, she's physically restraining uh, Pearson like away from the pile, right? Like getting her away. Yeah. And as she's doing exactly. that, it's, it's as she's like kind of twisting her body to do that, that her knee just stops yeah. and she drops it, that's to the what's ground. Interesting. When I first read this article, it, I envisioned in my mind, like she got into the scrum and someone landed on her and that's how she heard her ACL. I mean, it, it kind looks of was like a freak. It looks very like minor. She, it looks very yeah. minor. Yeah. And, and it clearly and just isn't an from the very get-go. I mean, you see her struggling on the court. You see Lambeer is very much distraught. Yeah. You can tell a lot of time. And what's interesting, too, so the break-in action is, I believe, it's nine, like nine and a half minutes. It's quite a stretch. And as yeah. this is happening, Michael Cooper and Lambeer are chipping at each other on the sideline. <laughs> yeah. And, and kind of not even, like, fighting, but almost just like, all right, can we get this over with? Because Lambeer is about to blow a gasket from the refs. He's like, can we just end the damn game? There's four seconds left. Can we review yeah. this later? Cooper's like, let's just take this W home. They're chipping at each other. Of course, Michael Cooper and Bill Embiid have a history. Yeah. They don't uh, each other. Playing for the Lakers and Pistons, respectively. So it, there's all of that going on. Um, all in all, like I said, nine-minute break in action, four ejections on the night, 11 total suspensions. Planet Pearson suspended for four games. Rick Mahorn suspended for two. Candace Parker suspended for a one and every other player. Well, uh, there were a couple Sparks players since they left the bench to incite this. We're given mm-hmm. two game suspensions. Most everyone else were single game suspensions. Obviously, there's some controversy there that these were the two people in the scuffle, one for four games, one for one. But I mean, when you look at the tape, clearly one of them incited the, the moment, at least. Right. You could claim that that Parker kind of set the tone for it in a previous play. But for that exact moment, I mean, Pearson is very much the person that kind of Initiated made a lot of that happen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Morton put his hands on a player, knocked her to the ground. I get why you'd be suspended for multiple games given that. I right. get it. If you want to claim Peacemaker, if you want to claim well, that I, Leslie might have taken a shot at him and he I was responding know. that way. I've got to take. I, 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 think, have a, I have my personal feeling on that. I'd like to hear yours. Yeah. So, because if you listen to the commentary, you can go on YouTube and watch this clip. If you listen to the commentary, it seems like initially what's being said is he pushed Lisa Leslie to the ground. Now, Lisa Leslie is not a small individual, right? She's, she's tall, but she's tall and, and she's muscular, but, but somewhat thin. Mahorn is just a behemoth of a human and is point, yeah. probably outweighs her by a hundred pounds or more and is like bigger than her. And, his, you know, forward progress into her as she's coming in to help break things up and he's coming into her. And from me, it looks like he extends his hands out and pushing her backwards onto the, onto the floor, which just obviously really unacceptable for a coach to do that. Um, but, and you actually hear the commentary say Mahorn just pushed Leslie to the ground 
And then it seems like they kind of reeled back a little bit and say, well, it looks like they just made contact with each other and, and it was inadvertent and, and Leslie just lost her balance. Yeah. And my personal thoughts is I think he, I think he was heated a little bit and, and was frustrated and, and uh, I think he made a mistake and uh, yeah, that's, yeah, I think that he went a little further than just accidentally making contact, yeah. like, like standing in her way and, and she just lost her balance. I, I think that I it was a little more I definitely don't see it as malicious intent. I will say. No, I don't think, I don't that. think he was trying to harm her, but I think that he, yeah. I think that it was excessive more than just getting in between her and the pile. I think his forward momentum and it looks like his hands extend out a little bit to push her back. And yeah, yeah. that's my take. um, And of course, by the way, if you haven't seen this clip, um, uh, we may share it in the description so you can look it up, but uh, feel free to pause this. Give it a look. It probably would help you to actually see this go down. I will say where I call because the commentary was real quick to change to Mahorn's the peacemaker here, right? Yeah. And you hear that term a lot during the, the review. And where I call bullcrap on that is simply to say, Mahorn's at the back of the bench as this kicks off. He yeah. goes straight from the back of the bench, makes a direct line, not to the scrum, but to Lisa Leslie. I mean, he goes right to her. She's right at the scrum. She only moves away because he gets in her way. I'm not saying he did it to push her to the ground, but it's clear that he was trying to specifically confront Lisa Leslie, someone who was not a part of this initial play. And that's where there's this random, like, I don't know if it's just a lot of high stress and you just made this gut move, but it to me, it had a lot of the makings and I know Logan will definitely know what I'm talking about. This had like a Pedro Martinez, Don Zimmer type of like <laughs> feel to me. Maybe my guy like, Rick just, was just, these were uh, two people that weren't completely in the right mind. Cause a lot's going on. And then one, like a sudden move turned into a sudden move. And he was just got pushed to the ground. He, you know, he played for the Pistons and he played with Barkley in Philly for a minute. And he's just, he, he saw Lisa Leslie coming in and was like, shoot, nobody's on her. And just try to step into that assignment, and <laughs> it's too yeah, aggressive. It's, to, it's too aggressive. I I believe that there's some you know like a lot of people try to contend that two game suspension. I think it makes a lot of sense. Now yeah. you noted something uh, in a lot of ways, Kyle, that kind of was my biggest takeaway from this. My biggest frustration for all of this isn't a player, isn't a coach, and isn't anyone on the court. My biggest frustration with all of this is commentary. Yeah. Yes, this is a disappointing thing. This is not something you generally like to see as a fan of a sport. They turn this into so much more than if I'm being honest and honestly was. Now, it did suck, especially because this led to a, a high end, a player season you know, ending, ending their season is, with an injury. That's a big yeah. deal. But but malice in the palace too. <laughs> Steven Jackson and Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal. Punching fans into the stands <laughs> and bludgeoned fans <laughs> like they actually beat on fans and staff and personnel. The reason that's Malice in the Palace isn't because there was a fight on the court. There were the chairs. NBA, there were giant metal chairs being events. thrown at heads in yeah. the first Malice in the Palace. This there was a very that. unfortunate scuffle on the court. Yeah. It led to an injury, and that's awful. It led to this coach-player altercation, which I also think is a bit awful. But these types of activities in, in the NBA tend to happen quite a lot. Yeah. Not game on game, but you see them fairly frequently. And they tend to get headlines, but it's usually just like, well, that's 
sort of unfortunate hee haw yeah. hee haw, and they end up just becoming like the focus of YouTube videos. But who's it's got almost, beef with who? Pe- people always broadcast it now as kind of tongue in cheek. They say it's extracurricular activity. Yeah, that's, that's always yeah. the term. They're like, oh, and we got some, it's like, we got some uh, extracurriculars yeah. going on in the court. Chris Paul and Rajon Rondo, like, <laughs> they, they, don't, they definitely it. don't like each or, other. Or what the Houston Astros this last season would have just called Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> but the difference, <laughs> the, I think there baseball. is a difference. I, I don't recall, <laughs> unless the brawl started because of an injury, like a really physical play that led to an injury, I don't recall a lot of fights where <laughs> during the fight someone received a season-ending injury. That's pretty yeah. unique. And, it was and honestly, really like, unfortunate. That, that, that should be it, the it biggest deal of it all is, this. Because that's really, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. The tough part about it is that it, it was also to like a fluke injury. Like, yeah. yes, it happened because of the altercation, but in a weird way, it was like, that was the same. Like, that could have happened on the court the way that it went down. Now, as I noted with commentary, that's what frustrates me is, yes, this is an altercation. It's frustrating. It's not something you like to see. The, the condescending nature of commentary is this happens. The constant barrage of this has no place in the game and this is just terrible behavior and this is not something becoming of the wonderful game of basketball. That's, if this yeah. was an NBA game, the commentary would be saying, well, they're going at it. Boys, the benches are clearing. boys being boys here in the, in the palace. That, that has a, like, like a Joe Buck, this is a disgusting act vibe. Yeah, to it. it's just, it was so <laughs> over emphasized it was like it was like listening to a wrestling commentator talking about a bad guy just like (laughs) how dare they oh dear like they just it went just a little bit over the line of like i was ready for at least one commentator to say that's not ladylike (laughs) but like like, that's what i was waiting to hear like just say that you think women shouldn't fight if done by a great broadcaster like Joe Buck, would actually be an amazing call. <laughs> if if <laughs> yeah, done if correctly, if you can, t- can tongue and cheek it, if yeah. if uh, if Sue Bird would have like like gotten into it with someone and then hit a bunch of threes in a row, and someone was like, "That's not ladylike," I would have been like, "Damn!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan Rucco could maybe pull it off, but Becca Lobo could probably pull it off, like that type of thing. But this was definitely like a. <clears throat> Well, that's yeah. just not, that's not how we play. And it just it yeah. extended so much into this idea that like <laughs> they built it to be so much more tragic than it was. I don't <laughs> like that it happened. The result of it was really frustrating. It definitely sucks for Cheryl Ford. But as I look at it, I go, this was a fight that happened on the court. And I get super annoyed that simply because it happened at the Palace of Auburn Hills, uh, it becomes yeah. compared to Malice in the Palace, which for some reason, all of us basketball fans look at colloquially like it's this nostalgic memory. It should be like the darkest night in the history of the, the NBA. The lowest low. Yeah. I'll be honest. I'm yeah. guilty of that. I I am a weirdly nostalgic about Malice at the Palace every year that yeah, the anniversary comes around. Unfortunately, a lot um, of us are because it is. It's it's such a memory. Here, here's another thing I'm weirdly like sort of nostalgic for. This is actually before my time, but this all happened. And like, as you said, the broadcasters were kind of taking this patronizing approach to, to calling this while coach Bill Lambeer was on the court in, in the room, which is hilarious because <laughs> if you're watching women's basketball fight on the court and you're like, this has no place in basketball. But the head coach is Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer is this has no place in the game of basketball. Mr. Lambeer, please turn around and walk back up the tunnel. I love Bill Lambeer. I love that he's coaching the Aces. I think he's great for the the league. But you can't broadcast like that 
not knowing like, oh, by the way, we've got I, two members of the Pistons in the house tonight. I'm waiting well, for someone yeah. to say, oh, yeah, this has no place in the game. And I'm waiting for Bill to actually say, you know what, actually, in the right moment. I made a career out of sort having of this exact Some, thing happen in the game. Sometimes. I was basically often, a hockey player in sneakers. You know, sometimes yeah. you got to take your big meaty forearm and just smash it in a dude's face. You just got to smash it in there. <laughs> yeah. So, like, uh, we're pretty much close to the finish line here. That was that was really the the, the main Final final event of the timeline thus far. That to say, we do move things forward to July 27th. Parker sits out the immediate following contest against the Connecticut Sun. She then drops uh, the return game to Liberty. They lose in New York before boasting a pretty impressive 23.10 rebound performance to beat the Lynx before the start of the Olympic break, uh, pausing WNBA games until late August. So the, the Sparks are able to pull in a win to at least close things out before the Olympic break. Uh, a lot of players are able to rest their legs. Parker and Leslie really don't because they're about to go try and win a gold medal. After a red-hot start and all pundits pointing to the Sparks as title favorites, uh, the L.A. team walks into this Olympic break with a paltry 15-12 and 12 record, tied with the Monarchs and Comets for third in the Western Conference. So Parker so was sitting, off okay, yeah. with Lisa Leslie. Sorry? Oh, I'm just, I'm just like wrapping my head around where the standings yeah. are at this point. Yeah. Yeah. So Candace Parker is off with Lisa Leslie in tow in hopes of adding a gold medal to an already impressive 2008 haul. I mean, let's talk about the hardware that Candace has already pulled in. She's looking to add a little gold to that. But the biggest question left at this point is when all ceremonies are closed, can Parker carry this team into adding a WNBA championship trophy to that same haul? And we'll dive into all of that in the final episode of W History's Chronicle of Candace Parker's rookie season. So that'll be Sweet. in the coming days. It won't be anytime soon because holidays, but do expect it. So there's so so there's your your quick chronicle. Um, how are we feeling? What's I cozy and warm? I just. Honestly, like the thing for me tonight is just stat lines. I kept thinking, like, as you would read off a stat line, I kept going, like, no, like, did you mean six? No, you said sixteen. Oh, okay. Uh, like, just the uh, the ridiculous games that she was having, you know, in particular against Houston, um, were just, yeah, just just super impressive and. Um, I'm excited to kind of see where this goes with the Olympics and then her receiving the MVP and Rookie of the Year awards um, and, and kind of discussing those. I think at this point, you kind of obviously see her as the Rookie of the Year, but I want to, I, I, you know, I'd love to have some context as to what other players were doing as far as the MVP. And so I'm excited to kind of get into that next episode. But man, my takeaway this year is just, or, or this episode, not this year, but this episode is just what an insane amount of games that she had that were just filthy stat lines, like video game numbers that she was putting up. And and that's just, that's incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just really uh, a lot of impressive things jump out as you just glance through her game log for certain. Yeah. Logan, any immediate reactions? Yeah. Mine is, uh, I feel like a lot of the sports cliches are built on foundations of, like when players come into the league in any league and they have a season like this. So to be the best, you got to beat the best. She came right. into the league Phoenix first night went four and one on a road trip to start the season, like played great against Phoenix every time. Like she understood that 
Um, uh, big time players make big time plays. Same deal. Like when, when she had to show up, when, when teams were doubling Lisa Leslie and basically gambling on, you know, let's let the rookie beat us. She had to make those plays and she routinely and she did. did. Yeah. And that's, that's the sort of thing that makes a player great. We throw around a lot of words that we associate with good players a lot of time to, to explain like, Oh, they were so fun to watch and they were so good. They were great. But to, to be great with a capital G means you're a t- the type of player that instantly comes into the league and is having that sort of an impact and, and kind of, you know, almost like a Greek God type status. Like, Oh, like you have, like your your minor like heroes, and then you have like your champion heroes, right? That come in and like instantly they're who you think they are. Like number one draft pick, college champion, instantly she's she's a star, right? Love it, exactly. I mean, definitely a a lot to take in there, and we we did hit the general themes. Uh, you guys really well hit the general themes. A lot of what we talked about, we've ingested a lot. Let's go ahead and close this out. Uh, I wanted to. Give us a bit of a a more formal flavor as we close out these W History episodes. Uh, to take an opportunity to give each of you a chance to share uh, what especially you learned today. Maybe your favorite factoid uh, from this uh, in a segment I'm going to start calling Waha Moments. Uh, <laughs> and I should explain this explain why, segment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, see, often in meetings, uh, some people might call these aha moments, things that jump out and and, uh, you know, enrich your mind. And the initials of W history are W and H. So it's Waha moments. And it's a great <laughs> name. And you all agree with that. So, uh, <laughs> Logan, I'm going to, I'm going to switch the platform. I'm going to go to you first. What was your Waha moment of this episode? Uh, what did you learn today? I'll give you a big one and a little one. The, the big one is putting in proper context when this was all happening. Um, the fact that, uh, like the Lakers, like this 0708, like that's that Lakers team. That's million dollar baby. That's uh, a Olymp- Beijing Olympics. Like I have all these things in my head and in my memories sports wise and kind of inserting Candace Parker's the rookie season into that is making all of this make a lot more sense and making me realize like, oh, that was what was going on in the world of sports while this was happening. Like yeah, the even the dunking story, like it all fits this narrative of like, remember what 2008 was like in sports? That was this year. And so revisiting that now that it's 12 years in the future, um, it has, it was a big aha moment for me and realizing like, Oh, that's right. That was going on then too. Um, and then my little aha moment was realizing that Mr. And Mrs. White looked at their newborn baby in the hospital birthing suite <laughs> And they said, what what name shall our, our beautiful newborn baby carry the rest of their lifetimes? <laughs> and one of them was like, what about Tan? Tan White. <laughs> I, think, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> Isn't Tan already kind of just a whiter version of brown? What's Tan now, White? Just like let me, off? Like let me cream? clarify. And the doctor <laughs> was like, name, great first name. First name. Latanya Chantella. Oh, White. that's way different. Okay. Never mind. Way different. I Never thought that mind. was her given name was yeah. Tan White. <laughs> I, I apologize, Mr. and Mrs. Now, White. I was like, I was like, why would I'm anyone do that? I'm interested in, and I don't know if this is uh, a communal thing or some like something in the like. There's a pattern that I haven't seen. Why this name would shorten to this? At what point do you hear Latanya Chantella and think if we're gonna cut this down, Tan? So that's where I'm. I think there's a lot you could have done. 
Gauntlet. My assumption is you went Latanya, so Tanya, and then it became Tan. In yeah. fact, now that I'm reading it out loud, like Tan White might make more sense, but that's I, I that's read, my I fault. Read, when I when you read the name, you read Tan and you read White, and you're like, is this a color swatch? So it's yeah. <laughs> that's, that's my fault for not realizing it was in a in a, a sh- abbreviated a contraction name. short yeah. name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um. So as far as what I learned is, I'm gonna say it in two and a half words. Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> is van it, the half word the van halen's the one and a half words because it's kind of it's a last name but it's kind of too like i don't know it's okay it's got the second I, I capitalized you. letter there i get it <laughs> um two and a half yeah, minutes should have been two and a half words two and a half and that, words that's how long the show should have lasted but <laughs> um but like that blew my mind that he was involved with the ownership of the Sparks. I thought that was really, really intriguing to me. Um, as far as things that I learned that blew my mind today, that was, that was tops probably when I, yeah, that was, I mean, there's a lot of great things about Candace herself as well, obviously. But, yeah. um, but as far as new things I learned today, no idea. And I'm a huge Van Halen fan and just, I, a huge Van Halen fan. And then I obviously covered the WNBA. No clue. Didn't make that connection, and that makes my whole night. Absolutely. Uh, my biggest learning from the night, my waha moment is, you know what? In the right light and the right stream of animation, zebra meat looks fantastic. <laughs> I thought so, one of us was going to go plash key, but we went zebra meat and okay, uh, yeah, tan white, Eddie Van Halen. <laughs> The the one main crusader to say we need to stop this dunk talk and respect women's athletes for the great that they are, that that came out of Bill Plaschke was actually the thing a little, research that was yeah. like, hold up now. It's like, wait, it, uh, him? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Love Very it. intriguing. That, yeah. Fantastic. So I had a blast tonight, though, guys. That was great. I liked learning also that, that John Wooden was a WNBA fan. Um, yeah. See, and I've, I've heard that. I've always and, I've always referenced Kobe as my go to like, well, if it's good enough for Kobe, it should be good enough for you. But it's nice to have another one in like the all time great minds of basketball like to be like John he, Wood, he got like it. the patron genius of basketball. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Recognizes exactly. recognizes the game for what it is. Yeah. Like, which, by it. the way, you wouldn't have learned had Bill Plaschke not woken up one day and was <laughs> like, someone's got to say something. It's going to be me. Shouts it's to gonna Bill. be Bill. You got this, Bill. He calls himself Bill in the mirror. <laughs> you uh, got this, Bill. Watched enough of that guy in Around the Horn to know that that's a hundred percent true. <laughs> um, uh, so, so that yeah, that's everything for the second installment of Candace Parker's rookie season here on W History. Would love to hear wherever you're listening or watching this program uh, how things are going so far. How are you liking the W History program? Uh, what can we do to add some spice to this? Are there stories, players, seasons, topics, anything that we can potentially add to the docket for a future installment of W History? We love your ideas. Uh, we have a lot of stuff that we're potentially adding to the pipeline. Uh, this episode specifically actually did come from uh, a listener response. Someone got a hold of us and was like, uh, I actually think it was during we were having a lot of talk about when Candace one defensive play of the year, and there was a lot of kickback about that. And someone says, someone needs to talk about the year she won two MVPs in a row, or won two awards in a single year. And so here we are. 
Well, here we are. So, uh, yeah, but definitely love your feedback on that. Of course, you've already heard our previous spiel, so you know where to find us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, subscribe over on, on Twitch and, and uh, check out the live experience there. Uh, all of that good jazz. Uh, thank you so much for joining us in this episode of WA History. We're excited for the closing part three. But until then, I'm Steve Schwartzman. I'm Kyle Haywood. I'm Logan Jones. And we got you next time.